Welcome to the All About Alts podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, Newview Trust's president, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Welcome back, everybody, to the All About Alts podcast. I am your host, Jason DeBono, and today we are joined by a special guest, Artem Milichuk. He is here joining us uh, all the way from Washington, but he is here as a guest to help us understand a little bit of agriculture and farmland and kind of this asset class that everybody knows about, but not many people understand how to invest in. So Artem founded Farm Together, which we'll spend some time talking about. But without further ado, Artem, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. Good to be here. Yeah. And we're going to talk about how you ended up in the ag uh, and farming side of the world and kind of how that looks. But let's start a little bit by just maybe helping the listeners kind of understand how you, in a roundabout way, ended up where you are and, and founding a financial technology firm on the real estate side, specifically uh, in the ag world. So I know your background uh, probably more than most, but born in Russia, moved to Canada, went to college at Wharton School of Business, a, a fantastic school, moved to the US back in 2016. Tell us a little bit about that journey. I mean, you've covered some different continents as well as certainly some different cultures. And yeah, how did that look? And how'd you end up where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, the connection to farmlands was very early because in the late 80s, a lot of people you know, back in Russia had these little plots of land that they worked on. And that's how you sustain yourself because you know we had a failing economy. And then when the market economy thankfully hit, uh, I was just night and day. And even as a young kid, I was blown away by how suddenly full the shelves became in stores. And I think it made me really realize that you know economics done right can be the best thing in the world, and economics done wrong can mean poverty and, and misery. So it's a very very emotional thing for me. And that's why I went to study finance and economics. And I did my bachelor's and master's back in Moscow, worked in finance for a few years. And then 2007, moved to Canada. I really wanted to be the best at what I do. And I wanted to do it on a global scale. And I think, you know, North America, US, Canada, that's where things really happen. And I had the fortune to work in investment companies in Canada for 10 years, investing, amongst other things, in farmland, in agriculture. And that's why I started Farm Together as well, is because I saw the massive opportunities there and how few people still had access or knew about farmland. So there's an educational and an aspect to the mission of Farm Together. Well, cool. And you've seen really agriculture through a lot of different lenses. You know, it's a very interesting perspective that you bring from seeing sustainability as the core and, and really seeing it from that other side. I think a lot of us, we all have driven past some form of farmland or ag land in some way, shape, or, or flown over it. Yeah, flown through it. So we don't, but we don't necessarily think about, we know that it stocks the shelves and we know that it helps. We don't really think about the sustainability side of that. And you've been able to be on both that consumer side of that, but then also on the investment side of it, working with pension funds, actually underwriting it and buying into it. That's a pretty cool perspective from really two different lenses. Thank you. Yeah, there's two aspects to how we think about our investors. So there's the institutional investors and there's a lot of benefits to institutional investors and retail investors, a lot of benefits of farmland to retail portfolios as well. And really, you know, 
at the end of the day, when you think about investing, you want to get more money than you put in and you don't want to lose money, right? And so it's pretty simple. I try to really go back to the basics, which is I love pharma because no matter what happens, tomorrow we're all going to have to eat and drink water, which is another way that you can you know, invest in water through farmland. And that's what I love about it. There's never a question of if what we're doing is, is needed for the world or if this is a good investment. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody would certainly agree the, you know, the amount of items that farm and agriculture produces worldwide is, is just incredible. You mentioned something that, that I, I want to make sure our listeners understand and really get, you know, you mentioned institutional investors. And when we, you know, any of us here on the show use that term, we're talking about the big hedge funds and pension funds and large scale investors that are writing significantly large checks. They're backing mm-hmm. a lot of the, the real estate that goes on today. And that's very common. You know, a lot of people don't see that. But when we talk about retail investors, that's really, you know, mom and pops. That's all of us being able to access investments. And one of the things I think that I love about what I've learned over the 18 years I've been doing this is that really the power and, and the people that we continue to try to bring on the show are the ones that have taken historically institutional grade investments mm-hmm. and really made them accessible and available to the retail investor. Because let's face it, most listeners on this show wouldn't have the wherewithal to go out and buy a piece of farmland. If they did, they were already in that business generationally or had some connection into it. It's not a, an asset class that you would buy yet. The opportunity is huge. So talk a little bit about that. And I know, you know, just from an institutional investment standpoint, being on the side of pension funds, why were these big pension funds, billion dollar pension funds, why were they investing in, in ag and that sort of asset class? And even hundred billion dollar funds. Yeah. You know, I want to demystify institutions a little bit because we always talk about them as this entities that have their own agendas that have nothing to do with humans. I mean, at the end of the day, they still serve the same people. It's the retirees. In my case, it was the teachers of the province of Ontario. And really what they're looking for is to pay pensions. So for someone like Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, which is now close to 200 billion, and for a lot of pension plans like them, it all still boils down to the same things. They need something that is stable, that is long-term, that is going to beat inflation, that is going to diversify the total portfolio because you need to have stability in your payouts and that has a you know, low return on headache. Because one thing with investing in, in the last few years is everything's going up, down. I mean, it's just, it takes a lot of work to follow the markets and do investing well. And I don't know about you, but like, I want my money to work for me, not me working for my money. So farmland is great because of that. I think those are kind of the main aspects of institutional investing that I, at the same time speak to retail investors. And we have a lot of retail investors on our platform. I think latest count is something like 1,800 clients that have invested with us. And that's, I think, one of the big things that attracts them. I also want to touch on what you said about retail investors not having access to this asset class while institutions do. That is 100% correct. And what I'm proud that we bring to the table is our team that has worked at these big institutions, Hancock, Prudentials, Ontario Teachers. So you as a retail investor get all the benefits or most of the benefits from our team and being able to manage that. And then at the same time, there's some aspects of us being able to move quicker, be more flexible. And so we're able to win deals that institutions cannot. So there's best of both worlds, I think, with us. 
Well, you know, anytime retail investors can start accessing institutional grade investments without having any of the background or the training or knowledge or the money to the same degree is, I think, a win for everybody. Because, you know, when it's all said and done, there's so many different ways to earn and make money. When I started doing this back in 2005, you know, I thought real estate investing was you buy a rental property, you rent it until they move out, and then you go in and you clean out all the stuff they left behind, and then you rinse and repeat. And what I've learned is that not only are there hundreds of ways to make money on any one transactions, there's also hundreds, if not thousands of asset classes just inside the real estate realm forget about moving into even different asset classes. So let's talk a little bit about that in the concept of agriculture as, as a, a larger heading. Give our listeners some insight and ideas into what are the different types of asset classes that mm -hmm. would range in there, whether it be different uses of the land, different ways to make money. What would some of those high-level investment opportunities, not necessarily available, but just in general, that you've seen over your career, people use as a tool to make money in the agriculture space? Oh, yeah. And I think it's great that you brought up real estate. As we compare farmland to different asset classes, I think real estate is one that is the closest. Some others are gold, timber, infrastructure. Broadly, the way you make money in farmland is similar to real estate, that you can just buy land and rent it out to a farmer, which to a lot of people, not in agriculture, sounds strange. But in fact, 40% of farmland in US is rented out. So it's a wow. very, very common practice for farmers to rent the land that they operate. And that is the simplest one to do, but it's also the lowest return and of course, risk lowest complexity. As we start moving up the risk reward complexity curve, you get a few more levers or dials that you can touch on. So you can do what's called a flex lease. And it's when you get paid fixed rent from a farm and also a premium based on the crop prices. And that's what we do oftentimes with our corn and soybean farms. Then you can move into revenue share. You can move into profit share. And what we do a lot of is direct operated farm where the farmer or farming family, farming business will essentially be like a contractor. They'll be doing everything. And you as an investor have the full exposure to all the costs and all the profits. So if the crop prices are doing well, if you did a great job on the trees, on the farm, you make more money. If you didn't, you make less money. And that's what you pay us for because our team comes from decades of experience managing farmlands, operating farms, understanding best practices. And we constantly monitor what are the latest practices, what are the latest technologies that we can implement. That's what I think is really exciting about working with us and where you pay our management fees, frankly. But that's kind of the broad strokes of the spectrum of returns. And I can talk about the numbers as well in terms of the underlying mechanics. It's pretty simple. Well, it, it sounds like you've got an entire pendulum and, and that pendulum can swing from just owning the dirt and, and really doing nothing more to really owning it all and sharing mm -hmm. in the success or failure of that harvest. And so that's a, a pretty cool uh, spectrum. You know, a lot of times in real estate, the spectrum's a little bit smaller in terms of how you can participate. But being able to not just own land, which has its own benefit, but mm -hmm. actually harvest the land, truly harvest it, which can and maybe sometimes have more value than the land and maybe some years less, is a pretty cool spectrum to be able to navigate through. In your background, I mean, you went from with the 
Ontario pension, right? The teacher's pension. You did some time at a family office. And then you kind of transitioned over into farm tech on the produce side. Let's talk a bit about that because I'm, I'm intrigued by that because I think if I, I look at your background, it's really the farm tech coupled with your investment background, education, and work environment on the investment side coupled together is kind of maybe where farm together at least started to take shape. But let's talk a bit about the farm tech side. How did you get into that? That's a big jump from buying (laughs) farms for a pension plan to running operations as a VP for really a, a, a produce technology firm. So yeah, talk about that transition and maybe some of the why and and how it fueled where we are today. Absolutely, Jason. And I wasn't involved in buying farms for the pension fund. I did when I was working for private equity fund, just to clarify, but the pension fund is now actively investing in farms. The idea for Farm Together came to me around that 2015-2016 timeframe when we saw an overall explosion of alternative investing as well as a much more real push into ESG, into sustainability in investing. I joined a company called Full Harvest in 2016-2017 before starting Farm Together in late 2017. It's a company that is very successful today. They are a marketplace for farms that have what's called number two produce. And it's all the fruits and vegetables that get essentially thrown out at farm level for various reasons from, you know, a simple one that I love bringing up, but you know, when you buy your celery hearts and you'll go in the store and there'll be packs of three and they're all like perfect size. Well, you know, nature doesn't work that way. They don't grow like that. (laughs) So they cut off the top inches and just throw it on the ground, which is a huge waste because it's water, it's labor, it's fuel. And so what Full Harvest does is they take that at farm level and then will use logistics technology, marketplace technology to link it with, for example, juice companies, right? So you can drink your green juice and from that produce. And so it's a win-win-win because the juiceries, they pay less, the farms make additional money, and you save a ton of water and fuel and CO2 emissions. So I loved that business. I was first employee there. Uh, right-hand man to the founder, Christy Mosley. Uh, still a shareholder in that company, so very proud of that. And uh, that gave me a big boost in confidence that I can do this as well. A big inspiration for the sustainability aspect of farming and how much we can do there as well. So when you invest with us, all our farms are enrolled in what's called a leading harvest standard. It's still a develop- developing standard. I don't want to oversell it, but it's a standard for sustainability at farms that now most investment funds use. And so, yeah, that was fantastic experience that, as you said, you know, married kind of my investing background also to operational and marketplace experience at a startup. Well, how cool. I, you know, I, I love getting to know people a little bit more and, and really understanding their inspiration and, and motivation because coming up with a new idea is not easy and bringing something to the market Mm -hmm. certainly is not without challenges. And I'm sure you could share some of those and we probably will get into some of those, but the opportunity to be able to kind of have insight into where those holes are and voids are in in commerce to be filled usually does come from a journey that people are on and and you kind of have walked through that journey and, and here we are. Really excited to get to talk a little bit about Farm Together. I think it's such a cool concept and we're pretty fortunate here to see a lot of different things. And there's a lot of great marketplaces, a lot of great things out there that are being done and, and brought out to the retail investor. But I do, I love the fact that ag and, and sustainability and all of that 
as being able to be married together with individual investing. And so we're going we're gonna to get to that. Before we transition over into kind of the farm together piece, and we'll talk a little bit about what that really is, maybe for those on here that aren't familiar with it. But before we do that, we're going to take just a quick pause and we're going to turn it over to our quirky questions of the day. Always one of my favorite segments here. So Artem, I hope you are ready. For those of you as ready uh, as I can be. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, anything uh, and everything is welcome. I would encourage you guys keep sending your questions in. We absolutely love them. If you want to send your questions in, you can send them to Maggie with a Y at newviewtrustwithau.com and we'll get those into the envelope. So without further ado, Maggie's got the list. I'm going middle envelope today. All right. Here we go. All right. It's a good one. If you could invent a holiday, what would it be called and how would people celebrate it? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be reading day. And it's when you have to go outside with a book and read it. And then anyone can come to you and ask you, like, what book are you reading? Or like, what are your favorite books? And you have to explain why. So it'd be just like this massive outdoor, you know, reading campaign. All right. Well, I absolutely love, love the reading element of it, no doubt. I think that's certainly a dying item, unfortunately. But this is how you can tell where people live geographically. Because as a Florida guy in the middle of summer recording this, I'm thinking to myself, I love the idea of getting out and reading a book, but I don't know if I'm doing it outside in Florida today. But reading day it is. If anyone wants to run with that, there you have it. Just make sure that you give credit back where credit is due. Question number two. It's going to put you on the spot. What's the funniest joke you know by heart? Oh, man. See, they are definitely putting you on the spot. Mine wasn't. Let, give, me, give me a second. Hmm. I think it's the, you know, this joke from a classic Batman and Joker cartoon. The two lunatics escape from the asylum and they're running on the roofs. And then between two buildings, there's a gap. And so one lunatic has a flashlight and he tells the other lunatic, you know, I'll shine it over and you can walk to the other side of the building. So the second lunatic says, do you think I'm crazy? I know you're just going to switch it off midway. <laughs> That's the funniest I, like I know one. by heart. Well, that's a good one. I think those are always some of the best jokes that are easy to share, but give you a little bit of thought into it. I like that one. All right. Quirky question number three, pancakes or waffles and oh, pan why? Pancakes, pancakes, especially like the thin pancakes. Well, it's, you know, like more crepes. It's a very traditional Russian food, something that a lot of good memories when you know grandma used to make them on like holidays or weekends, so delicious with jam, homemade, all the stuff. So 100%, yeah. Uh, thin pancakes, crepes. Pancakes it is. There you go. All right. Well, Artem, thank you for participating in our quirky questions of the day. And thank you guys for continuing to send those in. We'll keep having some fun with it. So let's turn back now and kind of get to the second half of the show. We talked about your background and kind of how you navigated through and a little bit of the things that along your journey that have caused you to kind of see this window of opportunity. And so let's maybe go back to 2017 or, or maybe late 2016. You kind of said, there's a market and a need for this agriculture level asset class to be served up and delivered out to retail investors as well as institutional investors through a marketplace, which is ultimately kind of where at least Farm Together started. 
Give us a little bit of background at, at that point around the why and what did you set out to do then and, and what does it look like today and maybe some of the turns along the way that have gotten you to where we are here about, I guess, seven years later? Six, yeah. I think it's sort of, yeah, 2017. The spark came from two sides. One was, as some of my friends in tech started making good money, they were looking to diversify away from tech because all their career and stocks was in tech. And so they asked me, you know, what's the opposite of that? What's uncorrelated? And I said, well, farmland. And like, oh, never heard of it, but that's actually making a lot of sense. And as we started looking into specific options for them, I was just blown away by how few, if any, options there were, which made no sense to me because I was already investing in this market. I knew about it and it looked very, very attractive. And then at the same time, again, working for these institutional investors, I saw them starting to get into it and saw how much it would be interesting to institutional investors. And we're still in the very first inning of farmland investing. There's maybe less than 2% of farmland that's owned by institutional investors, probably like one, in the $3 trillion farmland market in the US and even less so in the $10 trillion plus. Now probably more because I'm talking numbers five years ago, global farmland market, which is a shame because they're serious long-term investors that take sustainability seriously and you want long-term investors in farmland. So that was the spark. And working at Full Harvest gave me that further fuel and momentum. And I applied to Y Combinator. So it says accelerator for startups, got in. And then that was a spark for some of our early investors to back me. And then we're off to the races in 2018. Took us a year and a half to actually get the first farm on the platform because there was so much to figure out. Legal, structure, team. It was just me in the beginning. So it took a while, but you know, I'm glad we waited because you want to do things right in farmland. I think it's a, such a long-term investment and asset class and industry. People think in literally generations, uh, reputation is everything. And so it's really important that we are here for the long term. So we don't even position ourselves as a startup anymore. We stopped using that word a year and a half ago. And now we're just a tech-enabled farmland investment platform. How cool. And, and so you're bringing institutional level farmland investments down to individual investors. Is that you know a fair way to represent it? That's right, yeah. We also are actually bringing farmland up to institutions as well. There's a big okay. problem in farmland investing in general. Because I think one question you and your listeners might have is, well, if it's such a great asset class, it's been around since the beginning of time, like literally it's what defines civilization, right? Agriculture, before that we were hunter-gatherers. <laughs> there was no civilization. Why is it that most people don't invest in it? And one of the big reasons, it's a very offline market and it's a very fragmented market. So for institutions, it's hard to invest because it's hard to scalably buy you know, 100 farms. And for individuals, it's also difficult because the amount of information just isn't there. So a big thing of what we do is, yes, bring it to individual investors, but also it's bringing creative capital to farmers. That's the second side of the marketplace. We bring capital that they don't otherwise have for business development or generational transition that they were not able to do before. Well, it's amazing how uh, I, I love the fact that you, you point out, you know, farmland is probably the oldest traditional real estate investment that ever existed. Uh, yet it is, it's still very fragmented. And, you know, I was just on a trip with some friends that are multi-generational farmers and it is a very closed network. And it, mm -hmm. we're starting to see that open up, you know, and I get a little bit of it on the peripheral 
but it is historically been multi-generational and and as families are transitioning out of that or into other lines of business you know certainly the need for capital goes up as well as the opportunity for those mm-hmm. farms to now hit the market in in a more publicized way and so it's exciting what you're doing Artem and allowing those investments to not just be shared amongst a very small group of people and and decisions made but to actually open those up to really the masses or or more of the masses at the risk of maybe making this a sales pitch for Farm Together, what is your secret sauce? What makes you guys unique? I mean, there's lots of marketplaces, not to paint everybody with the same brushstroke, mm-hmm. that's unfair, but there's a bazillion platforms that allow opportunities to access kind of quote unquote institutional investments. Mm-hmm. But what's unique? What's kind of that secret sauce for you guys? I'll start answering this a little bit differently just to show that Part of it is not even unique source, although it absolutely is a unique source. Part of it is just the opportunity itself. If you go online right now, you can buy literally one of two public REITs that invest in farmland, and you're getting a REIT-type product, which is rental. And there's maybe one, two competitors in the farm investing space to us. So it's just a very small space still in terms of options. And then what we bring to the table coming to unique source, one is institutional-grade investment team. Our investment team worked at Hancock, at Prudential, at Ontario Teachers. These are names that are, I don't want to say legends, but the first two have been in the industry for a long time. They're extremely well known. It's just not that many people in the US, period, that know farmland investing well. And then what we do is we marry this with a lot about tech that allows us to scalably source, underwrite, and find hidden gems in farmland. And this tech allows us to affordably bring you investments in that one to $10 million range in farms where most of the farms are. And we target returns from six, 7% to 10, 11% net IRRs, which if you look at this sort of how asset class has performed in the last 30 years, it's been something like 10 and percent total returns, which is very, very good. S&P 500 equities, bonds, gold, timber, you name it. They have not done as well. And with much higher volatility too, which is another way to look at risk. So part of it is unique source. Part of it is just like being there in a total blue ocean opportunity. Yeah. Well, I think for most listeners today, they probably haven't considered farmland as an investable asset class. And, you know, I think what you pointed out is so spot on. It's just not accessible. There's a hundred REITs you could go pick out tomorrow, yet Mm -hmm. two actually are, are engaged in farmland and they're only doing it in a single dimension to be able to get into that anywhere on the spectrum from the land rental all the way up into being able to have that farm operated and, and share in the profits or the potential rises or falls in some of the production that these farms are producing is pretty cool. What would you say if you were going to turn the table and say, hey, I'm an investor, an individual investor. I've never invested into farmland, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I've done a couple single family properties. What are the things that I should be considering? What are the, I won't say risk, because I think every investment has risk mm-hmm. and everybody mm-hmm. should be understanding risk in whatever they buy. But what are some of the things that I, I may not know to ask or may not know to look for things in specifically on, on the ag and farm side that really in a traditional investment wouldn't necessarily matter? Yeah. So first, some common risks. You want to take a look at the price we're paying to buy the land, right? In real estate, you buy low, you sell high. So you want to make sure that we're not overpaying. You want to make sure that you are in a crop or a commodity where U.S. has an advantage. So for example, almonds, California produces 80% of all the almonds in the world, roughly. So is that. Investing in West Coast water is massive. That's 
unavoidable and we i think do water really well and then it's the operator who is going to actually farm the farm and that's where you have to trust the team us and we who we select but typically we work with extremely well-known farming companies established with decades of track record and so we can take a look at what they do and we will not hesitate to let go operators which we have done historically for some reason they're not performing but that is a risk especially if you're doing let's say development because that's where the highest returns can be but also where the highest execution risk is those are the main ones some other things to keep in mind because it's farmland it's a 10-year investment that right now is illiquid you cannot exit it so you have to think long term although we do hope to have a secondary market in the future. I think those would be the main ones. They all run fairly parallel to maybe some more traditional real estate investments, oh, yeah. but they certainly have to be thought of differently. The illiquidity one is is a big one, and uh, maybe just to kind of touch a little bit, one of the things that I know we've talked, you know, in companies around why IRAs can make such great investments for mm-hmm. some of these agriculture products is is this time horizon and that. If you've got, not only are they great from a tax incentive and tax opportunity, that's certainly great. But being these long-term holds, they line up very nicely with a lot of individual investors' retirement accounts and having a much longer tail on the amount of time till they need to see returns. So are you seeing more of that? Or is that an attractive opportunity for a lot of your IRA oh, yeah. investors? Yeah. IRA investing is probably one of the most frequent use cases that we see. It just makes a lot of sense. I think our audience skews older and it's people that have been through cycles. And so they now want something. Yeah, I always come back to this return on headache. They want something that they don't need to worry about. And with people that are planning for retirement, it's just such a, a great asset class. That's why their teachers pension fund invests in it. That's why other pension funds are looking at it more and more. And it's, you know, 10 year hold after that, you could decide to reinvest. You could keep it. It pays dividends. You don't need to think of, oh, it's farmland going away because in the last few years we had meme stocks, then we had crypto, then we had like tech stocks. You thought, you know, you had real estate in New York office space, commercial office space was considered to be, you know, in New York, especially as safe as it comes, right? And then you have the pandemic and they still can't fill the offices. You know, San Francisco has massive commercial real estate problems. So it's just, I think when I think not just about IRAs, but building a long-term portfolio in general, diversified portfolio, it's my view that you have to have farmland. And so with IRA especially, it's great. It's also, you know, we talk about investing in public stocks versus private individual investments. This is not tax advice, but there is tax flow benefits, uh, tax pass-through benefits for farmland that you cannot take advantage of if you're just investing in public stocks and especially with IRAs. So yeah, we have a lot of IRAs in our platform. Well, and, and we could probably talk in length about some of the tax benefits on the ag side, but we'll, we'll kind of table that. There's no doubt I think a lot of people underestimate every asset class when used correctly has a different use case from a tax perspective. And mm-hmm. ag is a great one. I, I do want to take a step backwards. You touched on something that I think is a worthy discussion and, and it's curiosity for me and, and maybe also for the listeners. You talked about kind of the real estate world post COVID. And yeah, I mean, I think 10 years ago, if anyone said they owned a building in New York or owned a building in San Francisco, you know, it was like they made it, right? The, they checked all the boxes. They got the creme de la creme of, of real estate and, and now they can't give the stuff away in some of these major cities. Literally, and, and yeah. The world does kind of work that way and sometimes, you know, assets cycle. What impact did COVID have mm-hmm. on farmland? You were right in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. How did it perform? 
What did it do to change maybe the way that people viewed it? Mm-hmm. Future performance. Yeah, just give us maybe the post-COVID uh, yeah, cliche yeah. question these days for any asset class. How did Absolutely. it survive COVID? Yeah, so if you recall Q2 of 2020, that's when things just fell off a cliff. All asset prices were massively down because people thought you know the world is ending. Farmland was flat. So it actually did exactly what we expected it to do, and it preserved its value. In 2008-9, uh, before I jump to recent performance, Farmland was up something like 20% during the financial crisis because it saw this massive influx of people running to safety. And then in 2022, so when we had this big correction in asset prices, Farmland was up 8 9%, the index. So it's again done its thing. This is important to note. As you start drilling down into individual segments, some of farmland has struggled. So for example, in tree nuts, we have had a number of headwinds. One is because travel closed down, of course, hospitality, big users, right? That was a hit. And then we had massive input inflation that a lot of industries suffered from and still suffer. So that was a hit as well. And then we had this logistic issues in West Coast Port. If you remember, we had this long lines at LA, uh, Oakland Ports, things like that. So that was a struggle for some of the nut farms. And then we had this perfect harvest in 2020 that you had issues getting stuff out. So you do have the cycles. And that's why, again, we really hammer down this point of, we think you should add farmland because it diversifies your portfolio. Within farmland, you should diversify, of course, as well, because different farms will have different cycles. That's why we do a 10-year hold, because it's really hard to predict whether harvest and what next year is going to do, what something else is going to do. Yeah. I think one thing that keeps coming back to center in all of this is that farmland as a whole is pretty resilient. Yes, there are winners and losers in any cycle, in any asset class, and, and farmland is not excluded from that. But for all of those, as the post-COVID areas of impact have come back to normal, it sounds like all of these, maybe the ones more impacted, have shown their resiliency and been able to bounce right back from it. That's right. I think what's amazing to me is as you kind of keep sharing some insights into the different components, and now we're talking about tree nuts, and you tend to not even like for me, that was never on my radar as even an item in farmland. And it goes Mm -hmm. to show that the diversity inside of farmland is just exponential. I'd imagine there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of different types of produce and different types of things harvested on land for various reasons during various cycles at various times. So pretty cool to get a little bit more insight into. What would you say looking out, or I think it's fair to say we're post-COVID at this point, although mm-hmm. we're still feeling some of the more either lasting or ending some of these items that have hung around a little bit longer. What's on the horizon, uh, maybe pun intended, for farmland? What are you looking out? What are you seeing? Where's the opportunities? Mm-hmm. Where do you see farmland in the next five, seven, 10 years? Yeah, so the major tailwinds haven't changed. You have growing population, you have improving diets, which means more healthy food and more things like nuts. Like nuts are expensive, right? I mean, you go buy a bag of pine nuts, it's 10 bucks, right? But more of that, we're going to see more demand for organic. It's insatiable and it just keeps growing at a very good click every year. So organic nuts, organic fruits, organic vegetables. And what I'm personally excited about that I hope to see more of is increasing consumer demand for sustainably farmed products. You can call it sustainable farming, regenerative farming, Farming that helps with climate change or ideally even recaptures carbon back into the soil through regenerative carbon and carbon sequestration. So as we talk about different ways that farming makes money, one that we didn't talk about is 
this additional revenue stream from solar and wind leases, potential carbon capture, and water banking, things like that. So there's once you have the land, it's multiple income streams that can happen. So I'm excited about all of those. And I think what we're going to see as well as this market continues developing is increasing flow for institutional capital. And that's what I really like about where farm ticket is today and for retail investors. Typically, like the smart hedge funds, the social investors, they will find an opportunity first and they will rush into it. And so you as a retail investor don't have the opportunity for that. Farmland is still undiscovered in a lot of ways. There is no proper tech yet to scalably access it. And so you as a retail investor, you get to potentially benefit from this repricing of the asset class to institutional investor, which I think will make it even more expensive. So the farmers who own the land are going to benefit and you as an investor are going to benefit. Well, we have covered a whole lot of different segments, but I really appreciate your insight. appreciate you being here and, and walking us kind of through not just your journey, but also the journey of farmland as it's hit people's portfolios and continues to hit people's portfolios. If somebody wanted to get to know more, somebody had an inkling or want to understand how to invest into farmland more, can you just maybe give us some resources and we'll make sure to put all your contact info and info on farm together into the show notes so you guys can click right into that. But where would you say the starting point is for someone listening today that maybe wanted to continue their journey in, into mm-hmm. possibly becoming an investor into farmland? Farmtogether.com has tons of educational materials, videos. You can log in to listen to past webinars and deals and yet they can reach out to me. I'm happy always to talk to potential investors and clients at Artem at farmtogether.com. You know, we've been partners with Naviu for a while now, so we like working with you guys and we're happy to continue doing that. Wonderful. And we'll, we'll make sure we put all that into, uh, into the show notes so that everybody has it. Artem, thank you for being here. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and thanks for enlightening all of us, myself included, into kind of this asset class that's been around forever, but nobody's really taken the time to really understand it. I know for one, it's an area that I intend to, to look a lot deeper at as I continue to look for new ways in today's economy and marketplace to deploy capital and seek returns. So any parting words before we wrap things up today? No, thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, Remember, if you have not hit the like, share, or subscribe button to please do so. Also, if you a repeat listener and you like what you hear, please make sure you leave us a five-star review. Uh, It helps us build the community as we continue to kind of share our mission is very simple. It's to bring more alternative asset opportunities and understanding to the marketplace and not just look at investments through return, but also look at investments through return coupled with good quality tax planning and tax understanding through retirement accounts. So lots of exciting things going on. We've got a great slate of shows upcoming as well. But Artem, thank you again for your time. And thanks everybody for taking the time to join us on the All About Alts podcast. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS, that's A-L-T-S, to 407-708-1853 to learn more about how to get started today. Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content. And we'll see you next week.